Talk Radio for Inquisitive People. Solace Radio, Bonavista, Colorado. I'm going to be teaching on the book of Revelation, and it's not what you think it may be. Um, really prayed about how I should share it. And the first two messages are going to be an introduction to the book of Revelation so that we have a perspective and understanding. I'm not going to try and teach it by verse by verse, but teach first, what does it mean? What are the differences out there? Is There's a lot of variations of how the book of Revelation is understood or interpreted. And I'm going to lay some groundwork for some understanding of that. Um, but probably this will be a series of six messages or so, and when the Holy Days um, start. Uh, so this is one of those messages that is going to be a little bit more teaching, and uh, I would encourage those to get the messages online when they're there so you can uh, go over the information so you can be more familiar with it. Um, I'm going to really try and share how the book of Revelation fits in with um, the rest of Scripture, and particularly the Hebrew Testament, because that's its basis. So, Avina Malkano, our Father, our King, Lord, I pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth, Lord, would only be of you. Lord, that whatever is of the flesh, it would be stricken, and whatever I've missed, that you would bring it forth. And I pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. So 22 years, 22 plus years in Yeshua, 20 years of studying and pondering Revelation, talking about myself, that doesn't mean that I've studied it for 20 years, but in those years I've heard right many interpretations and suggestions and visions and some outright outrageous distortions. And it's a very confusing and people can be very gullible in particular about the, this book because um, it's a book that can't really be defined the way the church wants to define it. And of course, the reason I'm starting this is that over the years, in particular recently as well, people have always asked me, you know, could you teach me about the book of Revelation? Can you teach me? Well, it's not something you just sit down and tell somebody, right? It's something that really needs to be uh, understood in the context of uh, the writer's heart and his what the Lord reveals to uh, John in the Hebraic mindset, not in a Greek mindset. And unfortunately, Greek mindset is is all about the ethereal. It's all about what's way out there. And Judaism doesn't deal with that. It deals with the real deal. And when you translate or interpret any book, particularly Revelation, with the idea of a Greek mindset, you're going to get it wrong. I've never just focused on studying the book of Revelation. Why? Well, because there's a lot of mysteries in it that don't have answers to them. (laughs) And I'd like to concentrate on the things that I can concentrate on that we can walk in and know pretty assuredly that we are on the right track. And how I came about this starting to pray, because I started praying weeks before I started um, to try and put a teaching to pen, because I really wanted to understand what the Lord wanted me to reveal uh, about this particular uh, book that has been uh, delivered to us. Because we all realize the revelation is not John's, it's Yeshua's, right? And there's a confusion just about that, right? But we need to understand that the author of the book of Revelation is Yeshua, just as the rest of the Bible is. But for some reason, we like to look at this book differently. You know, John is just repeating what Yeshua reveals to him. Amen? Through my praying and trying to figure out how I I could best express uh, what people would like to know, I realized through the Holy Spirit telling me it would be impossible to talk about the book of Revelation, 
without embracing all of Torah. And that is the truth. So what is Torah? You know, we all probably have varying answers to that. First of all, Torah is wisdom, right? God's wisdom. And from Psalm 111, verse 10, the first and foremost point of wisdom is the fear of Adonai. All those living by it gain good common sense. His praise stands forever. Uh, you might just kind of pass over that psalm, that psalm, but it's interesting that the, the only way that we can ever progress is that our first wisdom is the fear of God. If we don't have a fear of God, we're not going to understand the text. Interesting that talking about us being humble to Torah, to the wisdom that God will fill us with if we have the right heart attitude about it. It's interesting that from our Scriptures that we read from the uh, Renewed Covenant this morning, it says it's talking about attitude. It talks about those that uh, are of the flesh, that they don't get it. And wisdom wisdom of men has no value to us. In fact, it distracts us. So it's, this, this Scripture is really helps set us to understand how we should approach the study or the understanding of the book of Revelation. Amen? Another verse that the Lord brought to mind was Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6. For Adonai gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Well, it didn't refer us to a particular book outside of the Bible. It says God is the fullness of wisdom. We get that confused because we live in a, in a, in a, in a culture of intellectualism, which comes from its Greek roots. That is not a Hebraic root. Because a true Hebraic root is God is all knowledge and we seek the knowledge of God through Him. That is not the culture we live in. So this, just before we even get into Revelation, we have to have some boundaries of understanding how we should look at not only Revelation, but all Scripture. From Romans 11.33, of, of, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How inscrutable are His judgments. How unsearchable are His ways. What that means is that we need to be humble when, we, when we're looking at the Lord our God and Messiah, however you're referring to Him. We need to be humble about how the perspective that He's on the very top and we're on the bottom of the feed chain when it comes to understanding. And if we, we're, if we allow just men to interpret for us or to walk, we're going to mostly get it wrong. That's why we have to, each of us has to be discerning and reading the Bible for ourselves. It's why I encourage you all to read Scripture all the time so that the Holy Spirit can speak to you about the Word. If you're just relying on me to teach you, you're in trouble. I am really fallible. Wow, I think nobody said anything. That's really funny, right? Grace. Kelly, the book of Revelation which I would say is true in the sense of all of the, of the canon, right? But Revelation is not only in harmony with all Scripture, but it's the key to understanding the book of Revelation. Scripture tests Scripture. Amen? But when we say that, it's flawed in our system because we only use part of the Scripture to test Scripture. The foundation of testing is the Hebrew text, not the New Covenant text. Everybody realize that? The New Covenant text can't be validated without the being in harmony with the Hebrew text. The problem is in our modern culture, that isn't done very often. So it's a whole different thinking, right? We, a lot of, we just want to rush to the new covenant. I thank God every day, particularly when I'm studying, that though I was miserable being raised as an Orthodox youth, you know, and going to seminary and yeshiva, and when, and, but when I came to be a believer, I thank God for the foundation He gave me in the Hebrew text. Because, 
even though I wasn't sure of much, when people were saying I knew what was wrong, I could say, well, that can't be right because it doesn't match the text in the Tanakh. But most of us don't have that kind of training. But the Lord will give us that training through the Holy Spirit if we're just open. When we read, when we read and study, we should be trying to hear from the Holy Spirit, not to affirm what somebody else said, but to hear the truth directly from the Lord. And we have to do that, especially or particularly with the book of Revelation. From Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, this is the revelation which God gave to Yeshua, the Messiah. Not really to John, he's just presenting it, right? So that he could show his servants what must happen very soon. Of course, what must happen very soon is relative to God's timeline, not ours, right? Clearly, all the apostles from their writings, Paul in particular, expected Yeshua to show up in his lifetime again. Well, 2,000 years later, and the, the second coming hasn't happened, although we would all, I would hope, would agree that the Messiah is here with us and has been as soon as He gave the Holy Spirit to all that could, would receive it. Right? So in that sense, the Lord is here with us. He, he communicated it by sending His angel to His servant, Yochanan, who bore witness to the Word of God and to the testimony of Yeshua, the Messiah, as much as He saw. Blessed are the reader and the hearers of the word of this prophecy. And here's the kicker. Provided they obey the things written in it, for the time is near. <laughs> okay, so with that one verse alone tells us, and I don't think it's referring just to the book of Revelation. It's talking about all the word that God has given us. But it's saying, provide they obey, they obey the things written in it, for the time is near. Well, First of all, that tells us that the book of Revelation in many ways is a literal walk, not just allegorical. If it's allegorical, you can't walk out allegory. It just tries to explain something that's ethereal. God has an expectation that the information that He gives us combined with the rest of Torah, that we would walk it out. Everybody with me so far? We can't, the book of Revelation can't stand on its own, right? Right here in the first chapter, it's telling us it can't stand on its own. The understanding is going to come from all of what God has given us. Amen? We know that too from Second Timothy, right? Chapter 3, where it says that God, that God, that His Word that He's given us, the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, is what we need for truth and righteousness and correction, right? And for being equipped for every good work. That didn't change just because the revelation came along. It's part, it's in context of that. But we have a, we have a difficult time with that because this is one of those books that is, it's, it's generally taught outside all of scripture. Which, I'll tell you, if you don't, we can't relate a lot of other scripture to the book of Revelation, I can't get anything out of it. It's very, it can be very confusing. This scripture helps us understand, the scripture I'm talking about is Revelation chapter one. This scripture helps us understand the context that we can know, that we can know what Revelation reveals. So with that being said, the first part of my te- the teaching today and over at least through next week too is, uh, as well is an introduction. If we know that the prophecies of Revelation are tested in the framework of the Torah, the Hebrew text, it will help us understand all Scripture better, not just Revelation. And it will determine what it, what is of the Lord and what is not? Because there's a lot of bad teachings on the book of Revelation. Lots of them. In fact, I would argue that most of the things you find online are not correct. They're just not correct. Now, that's my personal experience. 
So let's, I'm going to quote from Isaiah chapter 44, verse 25, and, and chapter 47, verse 10. I frustrate false prophets and their omens. I make fools of, divin- of diviners. I drive back the sages and make their wisdom look silly. From 47.10, you were at ease in your wickedness, your thought, no one sees me. Your wisdom and knowledge perverted you as you thought to yourself, I am important and no one else. And that is pride. We live in a culture in particular of pride, especially in the religious world where people, there's a lot of pride. If you're turning on TV, most of the time you're going to find pride preaching. And I'm not coming against anybody in particular, but most of the time what you are seeing is pride leading a teaching, which means it's going to be wrong. At the very least, it's going to be wrong in application because that person's prideful. Sometimes we can get the words right, but the application wrong. Israel, the, the, the history, histrionics of Israel, they know the right things, but they don't apply them right. That's what Yeshua is telling, the, is saying about the Pharisees. Listen to what they say, just don't do what they do. It's the same thing today in our culture. We have many so-called Christian theologians or preachers, and they're saying the right things, but do the wrong thing in their application. It should be humble. And God's warning us here. He's telling us he's through Isaiah, and of course many others. I frustrate false prophets and their omens. Let me tell you, if you're listening to any TV evangelism, it's easy to pick on them because they're on there. You can see that happening. You can see it happening. I frustrate false prophets and their omens. Do you know how many omens and, and prophecies there were this year about the full blood moons? None of it has come to pass. And I, I warned you all months ago, I said, don't be focused on a particular sign. It's just a sign. I'm not, I'm not saying that it, it's not the Lord showing us, but they all made prophecies about the end of the world and Armageddon and all those things. And nothing has come of any of those things. Don't be focused on the things of men. The men pull out things. The Lord wants us to embrace all of the Scripture, all of the prophecies in right order. When we don't do that, we are easily misled. Right? We like, we like to have our ears tickled, don't we? Ooh, that sounds good. It sounds so spiritual and above me. If you're in the Word by yourself and you're in it with the Holy Spirit, you probably know more than they know. And you won't make misapplication the way they do. But people want to be led, right? I, I, I compare it to how, how uh, lots of people buy cars. People want to be sold a car. They don't want to deal with all this stuff. So you pay too much for it. You don't get what you want. And the payments are bigger than you thought. And all that stuff. Because we're not discerning. I love going to buy cars. Wish I had some money. I'd buy them all the time, right? Not because I like cars particularly, but I like the kill. I like getting the best possible deal under the best possible circumstances. I've helped people buy cars and jewelry. I'm good at both of them. Yeah. So, so there's a testimonial. So I don't believe what people tickle my ears with. Not just in the spiritual realm, but in, 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 in the realm here. Everybody wants to tell you what they think they want you to hear so that you'll sign it or agree to it or whatever. The devil works the same way. The devil actually most of the time doesn't have to work very hard to suck us in, does he? When we realize we're sucked in, it's, you know, boy, we're in poor shape. Pride. Before the great fall is pride. So we need to understand these things before we even get into the book of Revelation so that we have the ability to once we hear something that isn't right, that we will know it's not right. I'm going to help you with that as we go along today and next week for sure. One reason I'm... One of the reasons that the Lord showed me to give an introduction 
is to find the wisdom we are seeking, particularly in all the Word, but specifically also in the book of Revelation, and the wisdom we are looking to avoid, which would be false wisdom, right? The wisdom that is of the flesh. We can, we can hold, we can try and hold people accountable out there that, that twist the truth, but we are ultimately all accountable for the wisdom, the false things that we agree to. We are accountable for that. We can't blame some preacher and go back to him and say, I want a refund because you didn't give me the truth. Kind of gives power to a sucker's born every day, right? We have to have wisdom. And a lot of times the wisdom that we are, that is put on us is the wisdom of the flesh. When you hear all these great so-called orators in particular on TV, they rarely quote scripture in context, rarely, but they are so dynamic and charismatic that you kind of get caught up in the moment. And we don't test the words, or people aren't testing the word. That's the flesh. Not only the flesh on the people that are distorting it, but the flesh of us that receive it. From uh, Jeremiah 8-9, The wise are put to shame, alarmed and entrapped. They have rejected the word of Adonai. So what wisdom do they have? The kicker, the world is full of wisdom. It's not talking about God's wisdom. Here it's talking about the wisdom of fools. We are surrounded by wisdom in, in our world and we have a difficult time discerning the difference between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of men, which is folly. There's nothing wrong with knowledge and school and all those things, but we need to understand the true wisdom is affirmed by the Holy Spirit and God and by His Word. We, sometimes, we, we give accolades to those that have you know, uh, PhDs and doctorates in theology, and I know some of these people and they know less than most of you know. When it comes to the truth, I don't have a doctrine. I don't a doctorate. I don't have a PhD, which in some cases is probably a good thing. The world is full of wisdom. It's our job through the Holy Spirit to discern what is God's wisdom and what is the world's wisdom. But whose wisdom is it? With all Scripture and including Revelation, the wisdom we must measure Revelation's prophecies through Yeshua, right? In particular, that verse Second Timothy right three fifteen says. Recalling too how from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which give you the wisdom that leads to deliverance through the trusting in Yeshua the Messiah. How do we understand the book of Revelation if we're not equipped in all of Scripture that God gave us so that we can determine what the truth is? You can't do that with just the New Covenant. It's not possible. Because the New Covenant is based on you know what the Hebrew Scriptures say. That's why you can't cut it off. You can't say all things fulfilled in Christ as meaning in the sense of done with and we don't need it anymore. Because you've just cut yourself off from two-thirds of the wisdom that God has given us through His written Word. And without that, without that wisdom, there's no way we're going to understand the book of Revelation or any other book for that matter. The book of Revelation not only reveals, but affirms Torah's prophecies. The book of Revelation is not a New Covenant book in my book. It's actually a Hebraic book. It fits so nicely with the Hebrew Scriptures and the prophets. They are consistent. The Tanakh is consistent with how the book of Revelation is written. Why? This, the, the answer is so obvious. Because both of them are written from the same pool of knowledge. They're both written with the same pool of knowledge, which is God's knowledge, which is the Holy Spirit, the Ruach. They're written exactly the same way in harmony with each other. They're perfect unity if we know where to look or we know how to balance it. From 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17-21, through 21, For the Messiah did not send me to immerse, 
but to proclaim the Betzorah, the good news, and to do it without relying on wisdom. Now that is an interesting piece of Scripture, isn't it? That consists of mere rhetoric as not to rob the Messiah's execution stake of power. So let's talk about that, right? Without relying on wisdom. What wisdom is it talking about? It's talking about the world's wisdom, not God's. It's warning us that if we're judging the cross and the work of Yeshua and we're doing it through the wisdom of men, we're going to get it wrong and we are going to reduce the value of Yeshua, not increase it. It's a crazy scripture. And we know which, which is, we're talking about the negative wisdom because it says that consists of mere rhetoric. Rhetoric is excuses and manipulation and, and it's hollow and, and fluffy. Verse 18, for the message about the execution stake is nonsense to those in the process of being destroyed, but to us in the process of being saved, it is the power of God. That's an interesting scripture too, because it's talking about those that are relying on the wisdom of men are going to destroy or try to destroy the power of the cross and Yeshua's death and his resurrection. You think that that, you know, that doesn't seem to ring true, but I can tell you within Christianity in the world, there are many that deny the cross and the power of the cross and teach a false Messiah. So it's not just conjecture. It wasn't just a suggestion. In fact, we live in the days where the Messiah has been reduced and a false Messiah or false Messiahs have been raised up. In verse 19, indeed, the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and frustrate the intelligent, the intelligence of the intelligent. He's not talking about the wisdom of God that God, the wisdom that God gives us. He's talking about the wisdom that men have acquired on their own and distorted the truth. And he's going to use it to destroy them. If we try to operate in knowledge without the Holy Spirit, you will be destroyed. Why? Because you're a liability to the kingdom of God. These are, these are tough words. You're in the process of being destroyed. I know that in many conversations over the years I've had with people that consider themselves scholars or, you know, and they have all these degrees and stuff, and, and they get frustrated with me because I won't leave the text. I won't leave the text. And I'm not going to leave what the Holy Spirit shows me unless the Lord Himself shows me. Because I don't have everything perfect or right, right? I have to change just like everybody else. But I won't leave the text. So they get frustrated. People that have human intelligence get frustrated with the wisdom of God from those of us that are more grounded. Usually I don't even get into the deep stuff with them because they're so irritated with handling the simple stuff, they won't talk to me anymore. And what's the famous last words of somebody that's frustrated? When somebody's frustrated, we've miscommunicated something that's right, what do people say all the time? You don't understand. right? You don't understand, you don't understand me, you don't know, whatever. Verse 20, where does that leave the philosopher? That's Greek. Philosophy is the Greek strength. That's what they poured into Scripture and interpretation of it. It is not Hebraic action or of the Israelites. They weren't philosophical until they were conquered by the Greco-Romans. Greco-Romans? The Greco-Romans, right? Just made up a new term, you Romans. Romulans. There you go. I knew there was aliens. They're Romulans. So, but, so where does that leave the philosopher, the Torah teacher, or any of today's thinkers? So this is interesting. Hasn't God made this world's wisdom look pretty foolish? And this is interesting because he's not only talking about the Greek philosopher, he's talking about the so-called Torah teachers or the great thinkers. That's why Yeshua kept, kept coming against the Pharisees of his day. 
Because they were wrong about interpretation. They were wrong about application. They weren't wrong about the words themselves in general, but they were wrong in how they presented it and how they lived. And they, of course, they were disingenuous about what they really were, right? They were all about pride and ego and all those things. So, but we, so it's interesting. The Torah teacher, we'd all, we'd all of a sudden, we'd all go, whoa, the Torah teachers, you know, they're, they're really good and they're smart. We can listen to them. Well, I think we need to be very careful which Torah teachers we listen to. What is their wisdom based on? And what I've always said is the re- the problem. It, you're not in a community if you're not in the community. TV is not a community. Radio is not a community. You need to be able to see how people live their lives, not just what they teach you, but do they apply it? Do they live it? Because that's the testimony. There's no testimony in a TV or a radio ministry. They could be horrible people and do horrible things outside of that. There has to be accountability. I have to be accountable before you all as well as the Lord. I need You need to be accountable before the Lord and before your fellow brothers and sisters. Everybody says lots of... You can tickle our ears. We've seen it in the past in this congregation. Somebody comes in and they have a lot of knowledge and they tickle a lot of ears and people get attracted to that and it creates division. I have zero problem with knowledge that's balanced correctly. I love learning, as long as I'm learning the right things. Verse 21, For God's wisdom ordained that the world, using its own wisdom, would not come to know Him. Therefore, God decided to use the nonsense of what we proclaim as His means of saving those who come to trust in it. Therefore, God decided to use the nonsense, the wisdom of this world, God uses against those that lift that higher than Himself. How many people are so in love with what they perceive the Word of God to be that Yeshua comes second or third? Think about that. That the, the, the pursuit of intelligence goes far beyond your relationship with God or your fellow man. We see it all the time. As believers, as studiers, as teachers and doers of the Word, we should not only look different, but sound different, indeed be out of this world as in comparison to it. This, maybe this doesn't sound like a, the book of Revelation for you, but actually it is because in, until we can establish our perspective of the book of Revelation, then we can't receive from it. It's not possible. Because it's a diff, it is a difficult book in the sense of it seems to be very different than the apostolic writings, but it's not different than the writings of the Lord throughout the context of all of the Word. So we need to be able to view ourselves in the right order so that we can receive what the book of Revelation actually calls us to. So, in the weeks to come, we will be dealing with measuring some different interpretations of the book of Revelation in particular and give you an idea of what's out there so you can have some discernment and understanding about why things seem so confusing. So I'm going to be teaching about those different, the, the primary differences in how the book of Revelation is looked at, explain them, and also explain where I, I can only explain where I'm at and understanding, and then you can have an ability to start understanding where you are at or where you should be or not even sure what you feel about the book of Revelation. And through this, we should all be praying. We pray and we hope that what I'm going to share, what I'm going to give, is what the Lord is laying on my heart to reveal to each of us, including myself, that we will receive a better, a new understanding, but an accurate understanding to each of us in placing the book of Revelation in its proper place. Is the book of Revelation, as I said before, does not stand on its own. None of the books of the Bible really stand on their own. They all need each other. Scripture interprets Scripture. 
an addition that will put the book of Revelation in its proper order and place and correctly based on what the Lord wants us to know from that book. Many of the things that people focus on the book of Revelation, there is not enough information there for us to determine what it actually means. We're going to have to wait. That's where faith comes in. If somebody's telling you they know how to interpret the book of Revelation, that should be your last conversation with them. So that we will know that the coming weeks that I help us, the Lord will equip us, the Holy Spirit will equip myself and all of us, right? So that we'll know the truth in its fullest as best to our understanding to the limits that the Lord has placed on us for knowing His heart and mind. The Lord has revealed much to us, but there are also mysteries not revealed to us. And we need to be at peace with that. I'm not peaceful with that. I'm going to keep asking this question until I get the answer I want. That's messed up, right? I'm going to keep pursuing it till I get the answer I want. Dude, who put you in charge? Since when are you the master and not the clay? There is no faith if you think you know everything. So I'm going to reveal a little secret here in, in this process. I'm going to be looking at Revelation from the perspective of the parallels to the book of Exodus and indeed a few of the prophets. Because I believe the key to the book of Revelation is the Tanakh, particularly the Exodus. From the perspective it parallels. The Bible is full of parallel, right? The Bible is just full of parallel. There's in the new new covenant, there's nothing new under the sun, right? Sun being Yeshua, sun being the light. With that being said, this book is indeed hard to interpret in its fullness when we try to determine everything it means and says. It becomes really frustrating. How many of you over the years when people talk about the book of Revelation, you just kind of gave up on it and said, I, I don't want to hear about it? And, I mean, be honest. You walk away reading it. If you don't understand much about it, you, you walk away frustrated, not peaceful. Everybody's looking for dragons, right? Lions and tigers and bears. You know, oh my. So what I hope in the next numerous weeks, whatever it may be, I pray that you all, you'll enjoy the ride, that, that you're going to learn some things. And you're going to learn to, to pray and ask questions about more things, but that you will find that I can help give you a perspective that is biblically sound, not religiously sound, but biblically sound based on how it's written and where it fits with the rest of the Torah, the Word of God. One last verse before I close. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the Word of the Messiah in all its richness live in you, as you teach and counsel each other in all wisdom, and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude to God in your hearts. Let the Holy Spirit that dwells in us rule and balance our hunger for knowledge and discernment about the Word of God, not just for the book of Revelation, but all Scripture. And I think you will enjoy it, and I pray that when we're done, people will have a better understanding of, the, of how this book is placed and what its limitations are or what it reveals to us uh, that can be helpful to us so that we can continue talking about it in the future. Amen. Got a lot to share today. Hopefully it won't run too long. So as uh, promised, last week I taught on the first, the first part of sharing on the book of Revelation. And this is a second part of an introduction, a little different uh, tact on introducing. Um, again, this is going to have to do with understanding partly how the world has misunderstood the book of Revelation and the different modes and how that happens. And also sharing, uh, at least what I believe, 
is more accurate way of looking and understanding the um, the Word of God in this way. Avina Malkino, our Father, our King, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would only be a view of Lord. Whatever is of the flesh, you would strike it. Whatever of the Spirit that I've missed, that you would add it. And I pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. So, we're going to start with some of the most well-known, what I would call doctrines, are doctrines of interpretation of the book of Revelation, and not that they're exclusively used for the book of Revelation, but uh, because of how much they dis- can tend to distort what the word actually means, um, you see them utilized here, particularly with this. They probably use it the same way for any of the prophetic books, uh, whether it be Ezekiel, Isaiah, or Daniel. So the first one is what we call, it's called symbolic. Not what I call them. They call it symbolic. It's actually that symbol. And that, this method, method, blah, method seeks to focus primarily on the, nat- the nature of spiritual oppression and the struggles of all true believers at all times. That's what symbolic means. This doctrine emphasizes the persecution and suffering of all those faithfully waiting for Yeshua's return. So, that sounds reasonable, right? At the first, you know, at first, you know, hearing, we might think that this is good and uh, what I teach, but actually, it's not, right? This doctrine does not believe in the connection of the prophetic of the Tanakh, past or future. This is one of the most popular held doctrines, and they do not believe in the prophetic or the connection to the Book of Revelation to understand the Book of Revelation. Big problem. They isolate the book of Revelation solely based on what, how they see it in a spiritualized nature and not based on the foundation of the Hebrew prophets. Not possible. Not possible to do it correctly anyways. Isn't that crazy? They, they totally they say, well, we carry the whole Bible around, but it has no relevance to the book of Revelation. Kind of strange. It does not, this, the symbolic method does not allow for the continuity of Scripture not just Scripture, but all Scripture, that Revelation stands on its own merit without being in harmony with all Scripture. This is often the belief of what we call replacement theology, which I've taught about many times, where the church believes they've replaced Israel, and this is how they do it. They cut out the Hebrew Testament, and they spiritualize everything with it only being symbolic, and uh, it doesn't have to be that the Re- book of Revelation stands on its own merit. To be quite frank with you, no book of the Bible totally stands on its own without the merit of all Scripture. And so there's a major problem right there. So we need to understand that when people are just talking about the allegor- allegorical application, they're not willing to see where the Hebrew Scriptures really set up the book of Revelation because there's not anything really new in the book of Revelation, Right? We can find it all in the Hebrew Scriptures, and eventually we'll get to that. So this is a great challenge, because if any interpretation we have of the book of Revelation cannot be in conflict with the Hebrew Scriptures. It's just not possible. If it is, it's wrong. So where does this come from? Who led the charge to make this change? Well, that would be St. Augustine in the 4th century. He set up the idea that the Hebrew, the Hebrew Scriptures were null and void and not really relevant in looking at the, at the, uh, the apostolic writings. And so this symbolic uh, doc- doctrine related to the book of, of uh, Revelation goes back to the 4th century. That's a long time ago. <laughs> and you can imagine that probably in every decade or every, even in every generation, the, every distortion that you have grows into a bigger distortion in the next generation and the next generation. 
So it's been there a long time. And of course, Augustine was anti-Semitic. And I've taught about Augustine. I teach about it uh, in, within the, uh, the boot camp environment. He was violently anti-Semitic. And so he cut his ties from just about anything that you would consider the Hebrew roots of the faith. That's a problem if it's his doctrine that leads us to interpret the book of Revelation, doesn't it? Big problem. Romans 11.2, God has not repudiated His people whom He chose in advance. It is the same way in the present age. There is a remnant chosen by grace. Now, if it is by grace, it is accordingly not based on legalistic works. Um, that was verse 2, but it's actually verse 5, and then verse 6 is what I'm reading. It is, now it is by grace. It is, account, it is accordingly not based on legalistic works. If it were otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What follows is that Israel has not attained the goal for which she is striving. The one chosen has obtained it, but the rest have been made stone-like. Just as the Tanakh says, God has given them a spirit of dullness, eyes that do not see and ears that do not hear right down to the present day. And of course, part of that was Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 3 and Isaiah 29.10. So what's going on here? Well, Romans 11 is, and, and these other scriptures are telling us what the problems are. That it's been, first of all, Israel has been rejected by God and by the church, and that they're no longer relevant, and that we don't have to use the TV scriptures in order to live our lives. That is how what he's saying, and that is obviously dangerous. Um, when, we can, when we can cut off any part of God's work, whether it's with his people, or with His Word, we're going to be in trouble. We're going to be in serious trouble because we're denying the Word of God. That God has changed His mind. That God has decided that He will not keep His promises. And if God doesn't keep His promises to Israel, what makes you think He's going to keep promises to anybody else? That would be ridiculous. And it just wouldn't be God. If that's the kind of God the Lord we have, then we should run because He's not worth worshiping, right? The only place we can go that, every, that we can absolutely be sure that nothing will change is to the Lord through Yeshua. Amen? And if some things have changed that the Bible says would not change, that's a problem. A big problem for all of us. So this doctrine, this symbolic doctrine, it also rejects historical events of the past, the present, and indeed will for the future. That each generation, each generation is to sp spiritualize revelation as their struggle. So what it says is ignore what's happened in the past and just be focused on how the world affects you right now and don't worry about the future. That is not how God teaches. God teaches His whole Word from Genesis to Revelation for a reason. But this doctrine teaches don't worry about historical events. They're irrelevant. The only thing that counts is me. Well, that sure sounds like a lot of pride, envy, and self-righteousness, doesn't it? It's saying I'm more important than God. Usually is what it's saying. He's saying, I don't have to worry about what God has said, and I don't have to worry about what the future brings because it's about me. So this teaching says, spiritualize it to your position. Where are you at? And you know what happens if you do that? You're going to totally distort everything because you're going to base it on your needs, on your wants, on your thoughts, and your error. You can't do that. All of Scripture will keep us grounded. It will help us understand, have I interpreted, interpreted this correctly? That's why they cut it all off, because then you can make the Scriptures say anything you want them to say. Can't you? Though there is some truth to the belief of symbolic, 
It rejects or ignores the role, I said, of Israel and the Jewish people in the last days. And this is what happens when blindness strikes, right? When blindness strikes us, strikes us, and it also strikes the Lord's word, and it also strikes not just Gentiles, but Jews. The Jewish world has done its a very good job of distorting the scriptures themselves and taking them out of context in many cases. Not in all cases, because fortunately they're dependent on the Hebrew scriptures, but that even that doesn't stop them from distorting how they want to view the scriptures if they have an agenda of their own. That's why it, we have to be selfless and we need to desire that we serve God's purposes, not our own purposes, not our own immediate struggle, not our own immediate challenges. But what is it that God wants us to accomplish? Because if we're working on the goals that God has set, everything's going to work out, isn't it? If you're just focusing on yourself, nothing will work out. Nothing will work out for you. God comes first. Everything else is second. Include yourself. Include your wife. Include your children. Why? Because if you put God first, He's in charge of everything. He makes everything work. He also allows things not to work when we don't follow His pattern. Funny how that works, right? Not, so, not funny. Ha-ha, right? But dang. From Romans 11, verse 16 and 18, and verse 20b, uh, the second half of verse 21, Now if the challah offered as first fruit is holy, so is the whole loaf. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, a wild olive, were grafted in among them and have become equal shares in the rich root of the olive tree, then don't boast as if you were better than the branches. So hopefully everybody should know what Romans 11 is talking about. It's talking about the relationship between Jew and Gentile and how, in particular, the Gentiles that are being grafted in shouldn't mistreat the Jews. right? That their brothers and sisters... And that it says it's talking here not to be prideful and arrogant, right? Right. However, if you do boast, remember that you are not supporting the root. The root is supporting you. Well, what is the root? Well, we would all probably hopefully say, well, Yeshua is the root. But who is Yeshua? Well, Yeshua is the Word of God. And if we abandon the Word of God, you've abandoned Yeshua and you have no root. That's why this symbolic garbage isn't any good. Because it's, it's hacking the root off from what the root really is. You can't just say Yeshua or Jesus is the root. All of the Word of God, Yeshua and the Holy Spirit is the root. Amen? Amen? It's a truth that we need to get because what we're doing when we hack away the Word, you are hacking up Yeshua. And we don't have the foundation for understanding how we should understand in particular for this, for this study, the book of Revelation. Because without the standard and, 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 and the rock-solid Scriptures of the Hebrew, the Hebrew Testament, we're never going to get Revelation right. Not possible. In verse 20, the second half of it, you keep your place only because of your trust. So don't be arrogant. On the contrary, be terrified. Terrified of what? Terrified of distorting the relationship between Jew and Gentile and distorting your relationship with the Word of God. It's not just Yeshua. Yeshua is everything. You can't take Yeshua, separate Him from the Word. You can't separate the Word from Yeshua. You can't separate the Holy Spirit. You can't separate the Abba Father. They're, they're a unit. You can't just start chopping it down. Oh, I'm all for Jesus or Yeshua, and I'm going to do what He says. I don't have to do the Hebrew Testament. But who spoke the Hebrew Testament into existence? What kind of garbage is that? Because that's what it is. It's garbage. Let's, let's call it what it is. 
This is this and, and other theologies like it just chew up and distort the word of God and his heart. And, and and what happens is then we don't know what to do. We don't know what's true. If we can just allegorize revelation, then we don't have to worry about real consequences or real victory. It can work both ways. So before we get into some of the details, everybody wants to talk about revelation. If we don't understand how to study it and look at it, it will it will be for naught. I'll be wasting my time up here if I'm going to teach the book of Revelation in a way that we can understand how we are to be accountable to it and how it matches up to the Hebrew Scriptures. The written book of Revelation is written the exact same way as the other prophets. Same way. Why wouldn't it be? John didn't write this revelation. Who gave the revelation to him? Yeshua. Why would Yeshua do it any differently than He hadn't done for the last thousand years? Two thousand years. However you want to gauge it. Yep, everything changed. Everything was fine for 4,000 years, but 2,000 years ago, the whole game changed. Who said? The apostles sure didn't live their lives like the game had changed. And they weren't teaching people that the game had changed. What they were teaching was that the Mashiach had come. And that through Him, we could live in His Word. And we could have eternal life because He pays our price. He pays the penalty has nothing to do with doing away with the Word of God. The Word of God is still good. And that's the same. We can need to understand this foundation when we're studying the book of Revelation. So isn't today's church, isn't the church guilty of the same crime today? Killing or denying the prophets? And I bring that up because without that understanding, we, we, are gonna, we will not be able to understand the book of Revelation. Denying the Jewish people's role in the Lord's full plan? That's a problem. It's not only anti-Semitism, it's replacement theology. And it's also bad theology. This is what the symbolic approach has created. You can read more about that in Matthew 23. I'm not going to read them here. Or Luke 13, which talks about the killing and the pros- uh, prosecuting of prophets. You killed the prophets. You killed the prophets. So what Israel was guilty of, the church is also guilty of. If you're going to ignore the prophet's word, then you've killed those prophets. Have you not? If you kill their word, you've killed them. Can I get an amen? If you think I'm wrong, then I want to talk to you after. Because if you think I'm wrong, then there's a, you gotta, we're going to have to really sit down and talk about what your relationship is with the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures. Remember, the Lord does not see things in a linear timetable like we do. He's outside of time. He sees the beginning from the end. He can review it all the time. We can't. But, the Word gives us the benefit of being able to see what has come, what is coming, what is, and what is to come. Can I have an amen? I kind of like that. Fun. So one of the other ways of looking at a theology is called preterist. So this approach overlaps the symbolic a little bit. It views revelation as a spiritual struggle that is limited to the first century. So this is different. The difference is that symbolic says you should look at yourself right now. This says it was only for the first century church. Believers with the, and they, the first century believers with the Roman Empire, right? And the Jews are seen as enemies of the Messiah. That's a problem. This doctrine believes that the prophetic content of Revelation is completely past. Well, if it's completely past, why do you guys care about what it says? If you all believe that this stuff is past, why do people ask me what's, what's the deal with the book of Revelation? If it's in the past tense, who cares? Most of you believe these different variations of these doctrines and you don't even know it. The doctrine believes that the prophetic content of Revelation is completely past. On the literal return of Yeshua, 
is being only the literal return of Yeshua is being waited on. But we can glean from it some insight. We can in, in, in falsehoods, we can usually find a bit of nuggets of truth, can't we? That's what kind of throws us off. We hear something, so, yeah, you know what? That's true, but that doesn't make everything else true, right? So a lot of times within false doctrines are pieces of truth, right? That's what gets us. Clearly, the Roman Empire was a shadow of the Antichrist. There's a teachable, whether you all know that or not. Clearly, the Roman Empire was a shadow of the Antichrist. It is not the Antichrist, but it is a shadow of the Anti-Messiah. One such point, right, uh, is the seven hills in Revelation chapter 17, verse 9. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the women is sitting. Also, there are seven kings. There are parallels for us to compare for us to compare in the first century communities to ourselves now. But the word is far beyond just being past. It is past. It is present. It is future. Even in the book of Revelation, because it Revelation, some of the things that we're going to talk about will happen multiple times, right? Multiple times. But the generation that will witness the return of Yeshua will be in harmony with the lion's share of Revelation. There are parallels to the past, but the future will be the exact match. There's a difference between a a parallel and an exact match, isn't there? Something might run parallel, look similar, you might have a little off and on, but it's not an exact match. When Yeshua does return and these things do fall, they will be an exact match to the book of Revelation. And actually... To the book of Daniel as well. And another parallel, which I'll let it go because I'm going to be teaching that a little later on. 2 Timothy 4.1 I solemnly charge you before God and the Messiah Yeshua who will judge the living and the dead when He appears and establishes His kingdom. Boom. I solemnly charge you before God and Messiah Yeshua will judge the living and the dead when He appears to establish His kingdom. Well, this is what the book of Revelation is also talking about. Colossians 3.4 When the Messiah who is in our life appears, then you too will appear with Him in glory. This is not allegorical. This is real things that are going to happen. And there's other Scriptures that back up Revelation. If there wasn't, then it wouldn't be worth anything. But it's not allegorical and it's not spiritual in that nature that it's focused. But these things that are in Revelation are actually going to happen. Are there going to be dragons flying around? No. We'll talk about those things later when we get further so we can explain some of those things. I can't explain all of them. Neither do I have the time to explain all of them, even if I could explain all of them. But I will give you enough to chew on for the next couple of years. So then another doctrine is called historical. This doctrine believes that Revelation speaks of past events starting, starting with Yeshua returning to the Father in heaven and that it will go to His second coming and the establishment of the new Jerusalem. The days and calculations are only symbolic. Wow, this is so different than the other one. So the book of Revelation started when Yeshua first came and, the, and we're on the clock and all those things are happening until He returns. But all, the days and calculations are only seen as symbolic. They see no relevance in the actual days and the timings and the calculations. That's a problem. Now there's a bit of truth in there though. So, St. Augustine is the head of this list as well. He sees the cycles of disaster as being played out in his time and his near future. So Augustine, who was very influential on the early doctrines of the church, saw everything that almost already happened. It happened before him and it happened during him. Well, that clearly can't be. That the seals, trumpets, and bowls of wrath covered his time. And I may later make some arguments about, can we make arguments that maybe some of the seals are already broken? I think we can. But I'm not going not to swear by it because 
there's arguments otherwise, but when I look at the world, clearly I can feel like a couple of seals are open already. Um, wars, rumors of wars, destruction by wars, uh, Islamic terrorism, these are all things that add up to destruction from the second seal. Food for thought. I'll get back to that some other day teaching. That the seals, trumpets, and bowls of wrath cover his time. The historical view has a great deal of acceptance, particularly in Protestant thought. And that's why many of you might know some of these things, because that is the mainline Protestant view. It is historical, and it is problematic. And it's highly anti-Semitic. Most, if not all, Protestant doctrines are anti-Semitic. Everybody knows what anti-Semitic is, right? Okay. If you don't know, say so. So how, where's a lot of this come from? Well, most of it was actually initiated by Luther and the other reformers. Reformers saw the book of Revelation in historical perspective. So why would that be important for us to know? Because they saw and see the Pope as the Antichrist. Some also think that he is. That the, the Anti-Messiah has been present a long time. So here's the problem with it. Because they're saying he's present now, that the Antichrist is present now and is represented in, in the Holy See through each Pope. That's not what Revelation says. The Antichrist has not arrived, or at least he hasn't made himself known yet. Will it be a Pope? I don't know. Probably an argument that could be made for that, but there's lots of arguments. But we do need to understand what their view is so that we don't get confused. Um, of course, hopefully none of us are, are believing or following that the, uh, that the Pope is you know, Messiah here on earth. Because that really is a representation of the Antichrist, the Anti-Messiah, isn't it? that we believe that they're God, right? The Antichrist and the Messiah, we believe that they have that power and that they're God. Well, the world's going to follow them like they're God, aren't they? So we might be able to you know, mix hairs or cut hairs, but the reality is those that are going to be deceived by the Antichrist will see him as the Savior, right? What the book of Revelation says, I believe it. They, they attribute the struggles and plagues to events that have already happened in history. Why do they do that? We're redeemed now. We're saved now. That's the problem with that doctrine. Nobody's saved until the very end when you've made it. Nobody is saved now. You have the promise of salvation and the life you lead, and the, Yeshua has opened that door. If salvation, you see, they believe that salvation came when they believed in Jesus, and that doesn't matter what they do, they're saved. Doesn't matter what they think or do. That is not the testimony of Scripture. So that's why this can be a very dangerous uh, belief. Um, we're, we got past it, right? There, this doctrine believes we got past all the hard stuff. It already happened. What Revelation was t- talking about, don't worry, we missed it. Which is complicated when you, then you start talking about the doctrine of rapture, which says, oh, we're going to be raptured out before the time of the tribulation. Well, make up your mind. It can't be both. Think about it. That's problematic with those two doctrines. They don't fit each other yet. They use them together. you either here or you're not. Either it's past or it isn't. What is it? If you think it's past and you made it, how come you're still out here on earth? What happened to the rapture? Of course, you all should know I don't believe in the rapture. Not the Christian version of it anyway. Only the poor Jews will be the martyrs in that doctrine. Those left behind. That's not what the Scripture says. It says the holy, the holy ones will, will, will suffer at the time of tribulation. Don't confuse being met up in the air, meeting the Lord up in the air with rapture. That's ridiculous. If there was a doctor of rapture, I guarantee you that Paul and the apostles would have been talking about it. They didn't. The theology of rapture is only about 150 years old. Everybody thinks 2,000 years old. 
really new. Really new. All right. So where am I? Okay. But as with the other approaches, historical can be helpful. It does point to parallels in past events, and it surely can point to the fact that we are much closer to the Messiah's return. We do want to be historical, not as that it's ended, but that we can see that God is fulfilling His Word. We can use it that way. That is the truth. Matthew 24, 3, when he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the Talmudim came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will these, these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are coming? And that the Olam Hazet is ending this, this world. Mark 13, 4. Tell us, when will these ha- things happen? And what sign will show when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Luke 21, 9. And when you hear of wars and revolutions, don't panic, for these things must happen first, but the end will not will not follow immediately. So we can see there's lots of parallels because I don't think we've had a world that hasn't been at war forever, right? So there's clearly parallels to that, but the big the big one hasn't happened yet. You know, World War II is considered the end, war of all wars and the end of it. More people have died now since World War II and all these other little things that go on that ever died in World War II. But we we see parallels. The parallels are okay. As long as we don't make them doctrinal to determining that the word is null and void or it's past. Things fulfilled can be past, but things unfulfilled cannot be past. That makes sense, doesn't it? These three, well, there was three of them, right? Three approaches can be messy. There are numerous doctrines that mix them, right? So we have these three that I've talked about. There's another one I'm going to talk about. But these three, not only three, but we find lots of variations and mixtures of these three doctrines. So it's messy. It, it's like Christianity. There's not one Christianity. There's 48,000 versions of it. It's like Judaism's. There's 300 variations. Messy. Not to be messianic, but messianic is messed up too sometimes, isn't it? These three doctrines do not believe, they also don't believe, in a literal thousand-year reign, which we find in Revelation chapter 20. They don't believe in it. Numbers are irrelevant. I don't think the Lord is vague about when He says the thousand-year reign and then another thousand-year reign, and He tells you why. So why isn't that important? Why is that irrelevant? Why is it just allegorical? He said, I don't even know how you make it allegorical. (laughs) It's a thousand years. In a thousand years, I'm going to kick Satan's butt, right? And then there'll be a thousand-year reign without him, and he'll be burned up. I mean, these things have importance to us. We may not know the day the thousand-year reign starts, but we can be assured that there is a thousand-year reign if not, what was the point of saying it? Chapter 20, I believe, is indeed is a parallel for us about the current church or the, or the community, the body of Messiah and our circumstances. Let me give you an example, uh, one that uh, Dr. Daniel Jester pointed out, um, what he calls the Reformed tradition. Uh, Dr. Jester, I know him personally. He's the leader of Tacoon Ministries. Um, he's one of the brightest people I know. Um, he's Jewish, but he was raised Presbyterian. He has more degrees than I have dogs. You all know me, I got a lot of dogs. So, the Reformed tradition with the preterist persuasion, and he, I'm quoting him, that the church will conquer all obstacles and rule the whole world for a thousand years, Revelation 20, before the return of Yeshua. That's a problem. Thus, they would not be expecting any future anti-Messiah to arise. Indeed, the Olivet Discourse of Matthew, the Olivet Discourse of Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13 are all seen as referring to the events of the first century. Most of the book of Revelation is seen as having been completed during the period of the Roman Empire. That's why nobody talks about the book of Revelation. 
And that's why those of you who want to know about it, when you ask people, they go, don't worry about it. They believe it's irrelevant. That's the majority of the church world. That's what they believe. That's why it can be frustrating trying to get answers. It's too complicated. It doesn't make sense. So what's the easiest way to get out of that? It's not relevant anymore. It happened in the first and second century. Don't worry about it. That's the easy answer, right? When I was 13 years old, just before my bar mitzvah, I went up to the rabbi. Most of my friends were Christians. And I said, Rabbi, I said, what's the deal with Jesus? He says, we don't talk about it. That was the end of the discussion, right? Just wash my hands of it. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to figure it out. It's irrelevant. Jesus is irrelevant in, in the, in the Jew, Judaism I grew up in. That was the end of it. There was no discussion. And that's what's happened in much of the books of the Bible. It's what's happened with the Hebrew Testament as well. Washed our hands of it. Irrelevant. And we wonder why we walk in such darkness. So, there's one more significant point of view, which we call the futurist approach. I don't call it that. It's other people. It, seems revela- it sees Revelation as representing the last great tribulation before the return of the Messiah Yeshua. I, so, with that statement, for me, I appear to prim- primarily be a futurist in belief as they are also premillennialists. I'm a pre- I seem to be a premillennialist, meaning that I believe there are literally two 1,000-year reigns. I believe there will be two 1,000-year reigns, and that makes me a pre-millennial. If you don't believe that, you're not that. So, the millennial kingdoms which precede the establishment of a new heavens and a new earth. I believe that. I happen to be, Dr. Jester believes in it as well, so I'm in agreement with his teachings, uh, at least in, in this case. And I believe that this approach best fits all of the Torah. It best fits all of the Hebrew Scriptures. And that's really why I believe, based on application to the testing it through the hebrew text and it has been affirmed to me by the holy spirit if it wasn't i wouldn't be teaching you the reality is that key parts of the revelation to yochanan by yeshua have yet to be fulfilled be fulfilled on earth amen i would hope we could all agree that there are things that are not fulfilled at least as even if we vaguely read it right we haven't we doesn't we haven't seen everything clearly we haven't seen the return of yeshua right so at least that hasn't happened depending on your outview. And they must be literally, not just metaphorically. And I'm not talking about the language per se that's used. You know, I don't expect us to see dragons. The dragons represent something else. And I'm not teaching that today. The reality is that there may be a bit of truth in all these interpretations, but we need, we need to be very vigilant to the leading in each of you to the Holy Spirit and all the words for application and understanding and in real time as well present and for the future and its prophecies we can't live just in the past we can't live just in the present and we can't live just in the future because the bible's not written that way and the lord is timeless so we have to be prepared to see with spiritual eyes and spiritual hearts so that we can understand not just the book of revelation and its application and what may be fulfilled or not but that we can understand all the word of god so that we can apply it and understand it, and that it, it, it makes sense when we read more Scripture and more Scripture. It's why, as I've studied over the years, and, and as I teach, I learn new things and I change. Why? Because I learn too, just like you do, and I realize some things I didn't know, and now I know it better because the Holy Spirit has revealed it to me. If I'm not changing, then you should question my walk. And if you're not changing, you should question your own walk. Because a lot of us don't like to change. We close our eyes and we put the binders on. We have to challenge each other. And in particular, you have to challenge yourself. If you're not challenging yourself, if you're not growing in your walk and your understanding of the Word, something is wrong. 
And it's not wrong with the Bible. And it's not wrong with the Holy Spirit. It's you. It's me. I'm not here to teach you things that will tickle your ears. I'm here to give the truth as best way I know it as the Holy Spirit delivers it so that we can be convicted by God's Spirit. My job isn't to placate you and our job isn't to entertain. Our job is to walk out with the living God, the truth, and we should grow. So next week, I will start talking about the content of Revelation. Everybody will be happy, I'm sure. Maybe not now. From a very Jewish perspective, because that's how it's given. And I pray it will, you will be interested and indeed edified. So I'm going to end today with two scriptures. From Ephesians 1, 15-18. For this reason, ever since I heard about your trust in the Lord, Yeshua, and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. In my prayers, I keep saying, the Lord the God of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, the glorious Father, to give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will have full knowledge of Him. I'm praying this for all of you right now. That as we walk out, we walk it out with Him, that we will be filled with the revelation of our Lord, of our Father, of our Ruach, and of His Word. I pray that He will give light into the eyes of your hearts so that you will understand the hope in which you have been called. What rich glories there are in the inheritance He has promised His people. If there's one thing I can do as a shepherd is, is that I can push and shove and irritate you to the point that you will listen more to the Holy Spirit and read the Word of God so that we can be transformed. So that we not only can we understand the book of Revelation, but when we read any book, we'll know it because the Lord will write it on our hearts. And we will no longer need those to teach it to us because we will know it in our hearts. But if we know it in our hearts, we'll all be in unity. Last verse, Colossians 3.16. Let the Word of the Messiah in all its richness. The Word of the Messiah. What is the Word of the Messiah? Revelation, go all the way back to Genesis. In all its richness. May it live in you. May the Word of God live in each of us. All the Word of God. Not just a piece of it. All the Word of God live in each of us. And that it will teach us and counsel us and each other in all wisdom. And that will lead us to really worshiping as we sing psalms and hymns. I'm not big on hymns, but spiritual songs with gratitude to God to all your hearts. Lord, if you guys are stuck, you're missing it because the Lord has opened the door for us. And you, need, you each need to walk in. I can't drag you in the door. Nobody else can drag you in the door. You're going to walk in there with your eyes wide open and you're going to be, you're going to find yourself, if you can't worship, then you haven't walked through the door. If you can't worship, if you can't pray, if you can't read the Word of God, there's things holding you up, probably the enemy, but you haven't let go of that and you're not trusting the Lord if you're not moving. If your lips aren't singing, there's something wrong. If you're not reading the Word, there's something wrong. Most of it's being just being rebellious. We're, we're narrow-minded. No, I'm good where I'm at. This is enough. My world is complicated. I don't need for it to be more complicated. You don't understand what I have on my plate. Everybody has tons on their plate. Everybody's sick or hurting or overworked. Or, you know what I'm talking about. We all have that. Our mind isn't any more special than yours, right? Yours isn't any more special than mine. We all have those things, but the devil can use those things to keep us away from our journey, our reaching out and grabbing onto the Messiah. Be changed and be transformed. You know, it was an old commercial, a beer commercial that grabbed the gusto. I think it was Miller High Life, but I don't remember for sure. Anyway, grab the Messiah, grab his word. You know, football season's coming. So I'm going to have to talk to myself about this. Before I sit down to veg in front of the TV for three hours for a game, 
I need to spend at least a half hour praising the Lord in His Word, right? So that I'm not just vegging out for a whole day, right? And looking comatose, right? I have selective hearing as it is. When I'm watching football, I have no hearing. I can hear the score, but I can't hear anything else. Vino Malcano, our Father, King, Lord, I just lift up this congregation. I lift up your people. I lift up those that you've given me to shepherd, Lord God, and may we grow. Lord, may we reach out to grab you, O God, by your seat seat, Lord, that we would grab out and reach your word, Lord. We'd grab out and reach your ruach, your spirit. And Lord, that you would be magnified through our transformation. And Lord, that you would write the, the understanding on our hearts as you write your Torah on our hearts, Lord God. May these be the days that we live in that you write it on our hearts and our minds. Let us be a congregation that just straddles the world and that we would be a testimony of faithfulness and obedience and wisdom and knowledge that's yours. And may we test everything with your word and by your spirit. And may we be transformed and changed. In Yeshua's mighty name, amen.